You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuts. Well, you know, as so many of you know, um, I, I always get excited when I run across a fellow systems theory nerd that maybe I haven't met before. Because the, the truth is there's actually not many of us, you know, in the world of the Enneagram, like the Enneagram gets all the attention. It's the celebrity of self-awareness. But there's this other tool, right? Systems theory that helps us to understand ourselves, understand God and how to engage God deeper. And and it's just such a lesser known theory. So anytime somebody says, hey, you got to meet this person who's a systems theorist, I'm, I'm always excited and my guest today, Brian Virtue, I'm particularly excited about Brian because Brian is a system theorist. He's done training in, in Bowen theory, but also he has spent the last eight years of his life applying it in an Asian context in Manila in the Philippines. Brian works at a seminary there training people in Southeast Asia, uh, raises his family, he's married with three kids. He's currently in the United States with everything going on with COVID, the family's back home. But uh, I'm interested in hearing from Brian, systems theory applied in an Asian context, the unique dynamics of honor shame, but also what has Brian learned from his Asian sisters and brothers? Uh, So Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, great to be here. Yeah, and hey, full disclosure for our audience, we're gonna get to something where Brian emailed me and he's like, hey, I don't know if this is a good time because I'm really anxious right now. So uh, not to throw you <laughs> under the bus, Brian, but but just to let people know, we're gonna talk about what it's like when you've when you've learned a theory and you still have to work hard, like you're still a human being. And yes. so we'll be getting to that. But Absolutely. just tell us, first of all, about your work in Manila. What took you to Manila and what did you do there for eight years? Yeah, for a long time, I've, I've been um, on the full-time staff of crew uh, and was working in um, an Asian context. I was helping kind of do leadership development in their Asian American ministry for several years and also working in theological development. And at some point, you know, um, I was I was pitched, you know, I was asked to go recruit someone to maybe go explore, you know, checking out um, uh, an overseas seminary school for a year just you know just to get some exposure see if anybody out there fit the criteria to go check it out and, and my wife and I were kind of at a transitional point and um you know my wife was the one that said it first she said hey what why not let's do let's do it and so i i uh you know we 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 couldn't find anybody else to go so we decided hey let's um you know let's see what god has and and one year turned into two which turned into eight so um yeah, it's been, we wanted to get exposure just after, after being in the Asian American context, um, serving, you know, we kind of felt like we had, were one foot in, one foot out a little bit here. And we wanted to get a little more immersion and exposure into, um, leadership development, uh, in an Asian context, in an honor shame context with all of its kind of, um, expressions, indirect communication, all those types of things, which, uh, cross-culturally in the U.S., you know, we're, we're ch- challenging a little bit to figure out, and we just wanted to, and we wanted to see what God was doing on the other side of the world and, and just, just be a part of, of something and, and learn. And, um, yeah, that's what led us, that's what led us there to International Graduate School of Leadership. And yeah. I have loved it. Yeah. And it's fascinating, Brian. You know, you have your doctorate in, in peace studies, 
but I know that you also have a uh, systems theory background. How, how were you first exposed to systems theory or Bowen theory? Yeah, I don't have my doctorate oh, yet. Okay. I'm, I'm in my research right now. So hopefully, hopefully soon, <laughs> hopefully soon. But um, yeah, you know, I in seminary, I, I think it started as a footnote in a, in a book. Um, I saw a footnote. Um, I think it was for um, Friedman's Generation to Generation. Yep. I think um, classic, it was yep. in one. It was in one of my classes and I, I was reading one of the books and there was an interesting insight in the book. Um, and so I, I tracked down the, the citation and the, the source and it was generation to generation. And so I, I chased that down and, and then I chased, um, as much as I could, you know, Peter Steinke and, and, and other authors and, um, you know, failure of nerve was, was a highlight. Um, Friedman's fables. I, I tried to cover everything I, I could find. Um, and, and then ultimately I ended up starting a kind of like a leadership community just for people. And really it was uh, like a six month kind of thing just, to, and really it was more because I, I just wanted to create an environment to talk about the stuff because I couldn't find anybody to talk about it with. Um, just, it wasn't something that a lot of people were, were engaging with at the time, like 15 years ago, something like that. And so, yeah. um, had a few years where it just was a, a great time where, you know, uh, with groups, groups of, you know, eight to 10 every year, just going through it and being able to talk and explore it. And, uh, that's kind of how I, I got into it. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. This is where I was excited to chat with you. It, it, you know, you take the heart of systems theory and it really is the differentiation of self, the, the end, it really is ultimately the individual and not to nerd out too much, but I, I'm currently studying attachment theory and there's a lot of criticism from attachment theory towards systems theory, I actually think at its purest differentiation of self is an attempt at healthy attachment. Um, all that to say, it really is. A, it came out of a Western individualistic framework. And so when you look at things like triangulation and, and self-differentiation, and then you move to a culture that values indirect conversation over direct conversation, it values triangulated relationships. What were your first encounters in Manila or in the Philippines when you were bringing this worldview in there? What, what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, I slowly started to introduce some of the material and some of the courses that I was teaching because I was teaching, I've taught courses on like interpersonal relationships, uh, peacemaking, team leadership, these types of things. And, um, these things were, you know, peacemaking was really kind of the main, main place that, that I try to introduce a lot of this. And, uh, yeah, conflicts handled differently. And, and I think even as I, as I speak here, I mean, I just have to articulate, you know, I'm not Asian, so I can't, I'm not going to speak, you know, for, for all of Asia. And, and even in Asia, you know, different countries are, are quite different in how they approach things. But, um, there are some kind of in general, some, some gem generalities, um, but really, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it, um, you know, the first things that I think I, I noticed was just the, uh, the dynamics of, of authority, hierarchy, you know, just coming from low power distance culture, uh, to a high power distance culture where the expectations, the, the ex, you know, the, the taboos, the, um, what, what is acceptable and what's not, um, you know, in terms of talking to people, um, talking to people above you, um, not wanting to cause another person to lose face, not wanting to lose face yourself. Uh, it made the whole arena of, um, 
you know, interpersonal. It's a very, it was a very different, different dynamic. Um, and, and so it was fun to be able to introduce some of the ideas and interact and talk and learn and, uh, see where, where some of, um, yeah, students were able to benefit from just thinking about themselves in a new way, thinking about their relationships in a new way. Um, and, and really it's just the difference of uh, individualistic shift of thinking about systems theory where it's all about the self and what I need to do and to thinking about it in a collectivist sense of is, there's a, a heavier we emphasis and how do I understand myself and and my own responsibility in this intricate web of relationships that um, what I do really impacts other people in a different way than what I think in the West we we understand. Yeah, and you mentioned in, in that list of things, something that just caught me of interest is the idea that one of the high values is helping the other person save face. And I presume, especially if they have, um, if they're higher in the hierarchy than you, mm -hmm. uh, could you tell us more about that or give us an example of where you've seen that at work? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one way I would try to describe it, I think a lot of people are familiar with the idea of boundaries. And I think that can be a real challenge, you know, because sometimes we, we want to set these kind of fences around and, and, and from an individualistic frame, it's more about self, in some ways, self-protection, self-guarding. Uh, yeah. And and if you're in a dynamic where, you know, you're working with people and we might be more okay to let people fail in that sense. And sometimes that is the right thing, a healthy thing, a healthy choice to, to own our stuff. But uh, in an Asian context, I think it's a lot harder for people to let other people fail or to, you know, experience things that are shameful because it, it it's felt more deeply um, in the relationship and the community. And, and so some of those, some of those boundaries, how boundaries are handled. Um, I think that's a, that can be a real, a real struggle. That's one of, that's one of the thoughts that, that come to my mind. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Friedman a lot, obviously he was a student of Murray Bowen. I've always made the case that for better or worse, Friedman, if systems theory has a temperature, I, I feel like Friedman is on the chillier end of it. And Bowen is on the, or Carl Whitaker is on the warmer end of it. Friedman talks about empathy like it's a terrible thing. I, I've probably defended that more <laughs> than anything else as I've as I've gone into the public sphere with systems theory. People are like, well, tell me about empathy and why it's so bad if you're a Christian. Friedman is really talking about enmeshment. He, he calls it empathy, but he's really talking about when you're caught up in someone else's business. How have you fleshed that out in in the occult in, in the Asian culture there? I, I think that's the, the enmeshment, um, you know, the enmeshment language or concept I think is helpful and it's hard to distinguish what is, what is, what is emotional enmeshment and then what is a collectivist, you know, community, you know, identity, you know, what, what, it, how do you, how do you distinguish those? I think that's been at times tricky for things to, to figure out. But I think, um, in, in working with a lot of pastors, um, uh, training pastors working in the Asian church, a lot of them find themselves in under immense pressure because of these expectations and um, the way in which uh, the community operates and, and the understanding of what, um, what people owe to each other or what people, the duty and obligation. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a real point of, of formation and development. I think for Asian leaders to wrestle with, how do I, um, how do I take responsibility for myself in this and navigate all these expectations 
um, some of the understandings. And some of it's not just cultural. Some of it's maybe theological or, or, or traditional in terms of um, expectations about what the pastor should be and, and all of these types of things. But uh, yeah, it's it's. I think you see the weight of of the the pressures of community on leaders um, in, in a lot of ways, and it, it's very difficult for people to find the freedom. Yeah, that's boundary language. You know, it's like the freedom to to, to say no, to to make really healthy choices for themselves. You know, and so they shoulder a lot of a lot of responsibility and also a lot of the emotional responsibility and weight of the community as well. Yeah, and it raises a question, Brian, as a missiologist, you know, when when are you setting people free with the gospel and when are you bringing Western-centric values? <laughs> I have a huge passion for global work and have many friends in different countries, particularly my friend Dan in Paraguay. Uh, he's been there 27 years and, and his commitment to never critique or question a local value unless he can show the better gospel alternatives. And so watching him not endorse, but give room for behaviors that really uh, uh, make you scratch your head. I'm asking a convoluted question, but as you bring a Western point of view to a largely Eastern culture, what have you learned about how do you discern what's Western values and what's the gospel of freedom? It's a great question. Um, I mean, I, I think I think systems theory does have the the Western vibe, but I think it actually it can be understood in ways that really resonate with Asian culture too. And so I think I think the fact that you're you're trying to understand self not just um, from an autonomous, isolated framework, um, you know, which I think people can even do in systems theory in the West, where you just you look at it through the eye lens and yeah. you know. Um, but actually, you can come at systems and really look at it more on the relationship side of going, okay, how do I understand myself in in community as an interconnected, interdependent um, agent? And I think that, res- that I've seen that resonate, you know, where where they're not having to, you know, have to change fundamentally who they are or have to take on Western characteristics, um, you know, to be more mature in relationships or to take control of their lives it just helps but it helps to understand what's happening in these relationships and where do i find myself in 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 the dynamics of what's going on and how do i how do i own that and now the behaviors and applications may be very different instead of setting hard boundaries and having a lot of direct communication um there might be uh different strategies different approaches um you know and there likely will be but i think the i think it's an appealing uh, paradigm for a relationship for for such a you know a, a relationship first uh, community. And so when you're when you're getting into the gospel and freedom, I, I think um, I don't I don't see a, a huge conflict except for I, it would be very dangerous to come in and say okay this is what self differentiation looks like all this like this is the paradigm of what it looks like yeah. and uh, the principles I think are the same. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what you're trying to do and, and, and the self-control and the, the, the self-awareness and the presence and all, all of these types of things. But how it looks like may be different, and there may be a lot of different uh, behavior, and a lot of it may not be spoken. There are ways people can take ownership of themselves and, their, and engage fruitfully and constructively in relationships in anxious situations that uh, do lead towards healthier pathways 
um, even if it's not as overt or explicit or, or direct. That's really helpful. That's fascinating. It's actually what's screaming in my head right now is how much genograms would probably really be a powerful tool because it's all about the family context and, and what you've inherited from your family and the way you see the world based on the group. That's a fascinating way to look at it. Yeah. Genograms would be fascinating. I think, um, especially given the multi-generational households and all of the different, you know, webs of relationships. And, you know, I haven't done a lot of genogram work in, in Asia to this point, but, uh, I'm curious how people would experience going through that and doing a deep dive on family. And cause that, that can be a little dangerous and scary. Uh, cause there's some honor shame. There's some, there's some honor shame tensions there too, of when you start to unpack history in a way that can potentially, um, uproot things that, that can, um, bring shame or cause people to lose face, even when it's within the family. So, uh, that would have to be probably handled really, really delicately mm. and really well done. Um, but I do, th- I do see students every year that they, they want to understand who they are. They want to understand kind of the different forces and dynamics that affect their, their, their voice, what they bring, yeah. um, their ability to lead. Uh, and I, I think that would be uh, definitely a fruitful tool yeah. for a lot of them. Brian, you, you were sharing before we started just that you're in a challenging season right now. Like if someone were to ask you one of the toughest seasons of your ministry, you'd say it's it's this week. Yeah. Uh, your family's moved back to the States. You've got, what, teens and a preteen, right, who, who spent eight years of their life in Manila and now they're home. What what would be helpful to talk about of what what you guys are carrying right now? Yeah, I you know I I saw this on my schedule and I was like, man, this the timing of this is um, fascinating because I you know I, I I've I've woken up every day with that sick anxious feeling you know where you're just like life is yeah. too much it's too you know it's it's overwhelming um, you know we up until little over a week ago, we were planning on trying to find a way back to Manila, but with the Delta variant and all, and, and kind of the projections of what's happening there and, and some of the realities for our kids and their well-being, um, you know, we, uh, we got a lot of really, I think, um, divinely orchestrated confirmations, um, through a lot of different sources that, that really clarify that, hey, this is a decision we have to make and we had to make it now. And so, yeah, we're in the process of trying to get out of, uh, get out of our house in Manila and, and alloc- reallocate that money to finding housing in the United States, getting our kids in school. Um, all of a sudden, a lot of our future and, you know, we don't know, <laughs> you know, there's not a lot that we do know. Um, yeah. and so it, it's putting a lot of pressure on us to, to work in the present crisis, but, but also manage the, the long-term anxieties while also grieving, you know, kind of this unexpected, um, you know, uh, goodbye. Um, and you know, I don't know for how long or, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been tough. And so a, a big part of the challenge is just for each of us, my wife and I managing, you know, um, our own anxiety and, and, um, looking at our, our family as a, as a team and how do we, you know, how do we lead them when they're anxious? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be, you know, I think my daughter, 16-year-old daughter is going to go from a 250-person school potentially to a 5,000-person school. And so, you know, major transitions culturally and in a lot of other ways. But, uh, you know, it's really forced us to uh, engage spiritually, emotionally, like really attend to, you know, what's going on inside of us because it's hard to do the day if we don't. 
So that's that's uh, that's some of the reality. So a lot of things converging, um, but there is a sense that God is in it, but it's painful. I'm I'm just really grateful that you'd be willing to share it because because I I do find that a lot of people believe that if they learn some of these tools, these managing leadership anxiety tools, they won't be anxious anymore. But it really isn't about not being anxious. It's about learning to manage it so it doesn't drown you. Um, What might be just a couple of tools you're using this week to try to keep your head above water? Because as you laid out, Brian, the dynamics, that's a lot. You're sorting out a lot right now. So what would be just one or two tools that you found helpful? Yeah, and and I feel like I, you know, there's been multiple times in, in the last few months where I feel like I have been drowning by my anxiety. So it's, it, this has been a real, um, kind of a new season of seeing new levels, new levels, new themes of life, new, yeah. new areas that I think, um, need to be addressed. And, and, uh, and God is slowly leading me into, um, for, for healing and, and restoration. And, uh, so I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I think as I think about this week or even just the last few weeks in terms of as this has been building, one is I'm, I'm a journaler. Like I, 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 I'm someone that as I write, I'm a more of a conceptual cognitive person. And so I carry a lot of stuff in my mind. And so sometimes until I can get it out in some way, you know, it, it's, it's going to do more, more harm to good in my mind. So I got to get it out. And, and that, that can be a prayerful exercise as I, as I slowly download the things that are, that are in my, in my mind. Uh, and it's something I've really been working to do, um, you know, besides just consistently taking time to pause and just reset multiple times a day, because that's, I think that that is what I, I've needed to do. Um, taking 10 minutes of just kind of quiet prayer, allowing myself, my body to slow down, my, my heart to slow down, <laughs> my mind to slow down and, and remember, um, you know, that God is in control and that I, I can keep working on the things that I need to do, but ultimately I have to trust the things that, that I can't. And, and one thing, and, and another thing is I, I think I've been pretty self-critical in this time. And, and so I've, I've just have been really, um, consistently going through some like devotional, um, material, like the, the book gentle and lowly mm, you know, um, yeah. I, has been a, has been a really great thing for me. Um, I just started going through it for like the second, I'm going through it again, just because there's just, it's a season where I need to, I'm, there's so many voices in my head of, Oh, I, I should have known that I could have figured this out. I should have known, I should have anticipated that, you know, you know, remembering, kind of the nature and the true nature of God's heart has been a real um, helpful, soothing thing uh, for me on a daily basis of uh, making sure that I'm, I'm listening to the right voices and I'm not listening to the critical voices and kind of take me into that dark spiral of, of despair. Um, you know, and so that, that's, that's kind of been um, some of my staples. And then uh, just trying to have regular connection with my wife and family in the midst of it, because uh, if we go even a day without having some kind of meaningful connection or prayer point, um, if people start to, the anxiety builds and people start to feel alone and out of control. And so just trying to stay connected as best we can through it all. Yeah. Oh, I really appreciate it. Yeah. You referenced Gentle and Lowly, uh, Ortland, I think is the yes, author of Dane that Ortland. book. Yeah. Dane Ortland. Yeah. The son of, um, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on his dad's name all of a sudden. Ray, Ray Ortman, is it? Ortland? I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. Know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad I mentioned it live on air there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, also, Brian, I, I think, you know, transition always generates anxiety, like like there's beliefs that we have that yeah. cause us to be anxious, but then there's also just environments, this yes. situations. And 
And so there you are in massive transition. You're in ambiguity. Um, you're grieving, right? Yeah. Uh, and and that all th- those all exponentially pile it on. So it's it makes sense. And I, I also really appreciate that you talked about your own self-talk. I, I think for a lot of mm-hmm. leaders, some form of the message you should know better by now is what we say to ourselves yeah. when we're in an unprecedented situation. Even though we've never been in this situation before, we still believe somehow we should have known exactly what to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so many, I, I, I think even in the pandemic, I think so many leaders wrestled with that. I wrestled with that. Um, you know, just, I'm just going through it in a, in a personal way, in a, in a new, at a new level. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I think that's something that we all have to really pay attention to. Yeah. And a lot of leaders had, uh, congregants in churches also tell them you should know better by now. Uh, so <laughs> we've got plenty of that as well. True. Very true. Yeah. You know, at this point in the episode, my tendency would be to inflict the gauntlet of anxiety on my guest. I'm feeling yeah. a strong sense of resistance. Like, <laughs> no need to put pressure on you. Um, what about um, what about this? What, what are three surprising ways that you have found that your spirit is lifted? Mm. When you feel, feel the heaviness you know, obviously prayer is a, is a go-to, the, the family time you mentioned, but are there any surprising ways? Uh, like for me, one of the surprising ways would be um, playing my acoustic guitar. Uh, or another surprising way is literally rubbing the floppy ears of my dog. There's something just whimsical about it. Uh, I, I don't mean to put those on equal terms with, with Scripture and prayer, but they are gifts from God. Yes. So what would be three surprising ways for you that your spirit's lifted? You know, for me, a lot of it, you know, I I think it's been uh, challenging to, to find some of those things in the pace of, uh, of things that are going on. But, you know, I, I think um, beyond, beyond just the prayer part of it, I think something that I've really enjoyed in the last few weeks and the last week especially is, uh, the moments that I've had just spontaneously, um, to, to vulnerably pray with, with, with my children individually as the situations arouse. So that just kind of a, a new level of kind of shared, like, like, um, connection through the, through the yeah. experience that, um, so it's not, not just a scheduled prayer time, but just recognizing, um, it, we've had some of these moments that have, they've really encouraged like me and lifted me up because it's, um, it's authentic. It's, 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 uh, it's not just leading my, you know, one of my kids through praying or praying for them, but actually, you know, journeying together through something that, you know, we don't know where God is in it. And we're, we're kind of just, you know, uh, humbly <laughs> bringing ourselves before him with our, with our, our struggles, our, our desires, our hopes, um, fears, um, that's really lifted me up. Uh, I think this week, just those moments with my kids, um, and, and really anytime we get a chance to be together in a connected way with the five of us, our, our whole family. Um, you know, I do have those moments with my dog too, but that, our, our dog is trapped in Manila as well. So we're, you know, we, we, we can't, we, we're trying to figure that one out as well, but, um, that would be, that would be a huge source of, um, um, 
care, you know, and uh, enjoyment. But uh, mm. yeah, I mean, I, I think um, walking silent. I I just I thrive a lot when I have a lot of space to, to think and rest um, uh, to where I'm, I'm able to, to enter into relationships from a sense of feeling like I'm um, you know, a little bit centered and not overwhelmed. I, I get, I think I get easily overwhelmed by um, tons of emotions. I'm an Enneagram five, you know, so I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of energy management and a lot of different, different things like that. But um, having the space to recharge, um, you know, alone where I'm able to kind of uh, think, um, think about exciting things, enjoyable things, um, you know, sometimes reading, you know, so, I mean, one of the things that really helped me through the pandemic was just reading, um, not heavy things, but just fiction, you know, to get, to get out, to kind of, to kind of get outside mm, of my good. head and, yeah. and, and just be connected to story and, and narrative and, and life and, and not be in conceptual, um, not get lost conceptually. Um, so I don't know, these are things that, that I think have helped me care for myself and, and, and stay more grounded and connected. Um, through, through what we've been going through. Well, then it's a very much related question, so feel free to say, yeah, I've already covered this, but um, yeah. I, I got fascinated by the integration of systems theory and, and the gospel. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think if if our chronic anxiety is generated on, on false assumptions and false belief, then the gospel is the antidote. John says, perfect love casts out fear. And to me, that means that... Um, my chronic anxiety tends to invade the space where I'm aware of God. Yeah. Therefore, God can invade the space where I'm full of anxiety. So to that end then, Brian, when in your life do you feel most fully and completely loved? That's a great question. Um, I, think, I think experiencing and completely feeling God's love has been a lifelong probably challenge. Like it's, it's, there's, there have been, um, I think I, I resist, um, some of that, you know, I naturally resist a lot of that vulnerability and, and uh, being able to kind of completely receive and, and, um, soak that in. But some of the, some of the ways that I experience that is when, um, someone, someone that I know, someone close to me, a friend, uh, uh, one of my kids, family member, um, uh, when, when they, they demonstrate in, in some way, uh, that they, that they know me, hmm. um, you know, that there's seen. something that there's something that they see in me in a given moment or situation that they, maybe they say it or they, they show some awareness that, um, you know, I might be processing this way or that way, or, or I might be needing this or that, that when they demonstrate that they know when I, it, it helps me feel known. And, um, I think that's something that's a high value for me. And I don't always feel, um, understood or known in some of those ways. Uh, so I think in those moments when, when people demonstrate that, you know, Hey, I see you, I know you, um, I feel really loved in those, in those situations kind of stand out in the normal course of life, you know, where yeah. someone just, someone just breaks through and, and say, I see you and, um, I'm here with you. And there's some kind of value that they, that they get me, they understand me and, and they're present with me. Yeah. Brian, it's been, uh, I've really appreciated just getting to connect. Um, it, it's, you, you have a unique voice because of your experience in another culture. 
So I, I'm grateful to hear from that. A lot of our listeners uh, serve globally. Yeah. And so I think just hearing from you, we don't have many global workers on this show. So hearing from you is a gift. The other unintentional gift that, that I'm, I'm very sorry for what you're going through, right. but I'm also grateful because the majority of the people I'm talking to in some kind of Christian ministry right now are, at, are running on fumes. Yes. Um, because of the things you described, they've had to, like I know that with your seminary work, you've had to figure it out online and now remotely and just yes. all these pivot, pivot, pivots. And for you to even just open up about how it impacts your home. Um, I know in my life, I'm working two jobs right now and I'm a stay-at-home dad as well. My wife is a therapist and she's got a full practice with COVID. Yeah. Um, and I'm not doing well because there's just too many, my brain is having a shift yes. too many times during the day. Even as we're doing this interview, one of my kids is texting like, hey, when are you going to be done? <laughs> the, um, <laughs> and, and so I'm just grateful yes. for you to come on and share that. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on the Managing Leadership Anxiety podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love love what you're doing and I've been blessed by uh, your book and a lot of your, your shows for sure. So appreciate the chance. For more resources, visit stevecuswords.com or missyoualliance.org.